That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Welcome to That's What She Said, conversations with interesting people from the world of sports, music, comedy, and more, talking about their lives, careers, successes, and failures. Yeah, I'm Greg Cody, and my dilemma is I honestly don't know how to make the hard network out more often than I do. Ah, yes. For those who don't regularly listen to the Dan Labatard Show with Stu Gutz, Greg Cody, today's guest, has problems remembering that when there's a hard network out, which means across all radio stations across the country, they all end at the exact same second and go to commercial, that when that's coming up, the entire show has been conspiring to cut him off mid-sentence so that it looks like he's never done radio before. Okay, so here's the thing, Greg. I could tell you that the hard out always hits right around the same time and that you should just be watching the clock and looking for that number. And if it's anywhere near that number, just lay out. It's better to be silent and make the rest of the show scramble trying to talk so that they don't leave a bunch of space than it is for you to get hit with the hard out again. But why would I tell you that? Even though I'm the commish and my job is to fix things, I'm not fixing things that ain't broke. And you getting nailed by the hard out is one of the greatest joys of my day. So all I can tell you is that the hard net workouts are a mystery and there's no way of preparing for them. Just keep doing your best. The commish has spoken. This week's guest is Greg Cody, Miami Herald sports columnist since 1995. You can hear him on the Dan Lebetard show with Stugatz nearly every Tuesday telling us what it was like back in his day getting cut off by that hard network out and hanging out with his son, Chris Cody. You can follow him at Greg Cody and follow him on Instagram at Upset Bird. Lots of good conversations with Greg Cody. Uh, he talked about why, in theory, his friendship with Dan Lebetard never should have happened. Rock fights, getting tricked into writing a story about an athlete that was completely made up. Uh, some of the ways that he sort of fell into his job as a journalist and meeting the guy who got his face tattooed on his leg. As I mentioned, he is the dad of Chris Cody, one of the producers for the Levitard show with Stu Gatz. And I asked Chris if there were any funny stories about his dad that we hadn't maybe yet heard on the show. And he did say that Greg Cody was the announcer for his son's travel baseball teams and high school teams. And he would be announcing the games and then turn the microphone off to alternately argue with an umpire if they made a bad call. And also that he kept the team and individual stats for every one of those teams. And he just loved stats so much that he was super invested in that. So that's not hard to picture at all. And we'll actually get into his love of stats pretty early on. Here's my conversation with Greg Cody. That's what she said. So happy to welcome in Greg Cody. And I'd like to let everybody know that he started the interview with his cell phone going off, uh, which is just a, a typical Cody move. Uh, we couldn't catch it on tape, unfortunately, but I have no doubt that throughout the, uh, the rest of this interview, he'll manage to, uh, he'll manage to do plenty of things that remind us just how special he is. And that's why, uh. that's, that's why he's here to talk with us. Um, Greg, I appreciate the time. You know, people hear you every week sometimes more than once a week with the Dan Levitard show. And we've gotten to know you in a number of ways through that. But uh, who you really are outside the show is is a big mystery to me and to many others. So I thought it'd be great to have you on. And, um, you know, we've heard about your childhood. We've heard about, you know, your various family members with unique with unique names, uh, your old childhood home. I believe you gave out the address of it at different times. So uh, we've heard bits and pieces. But Take us back to to when you were a kid. What kind of kid were you? Did you always want to be a bit of a joker? 
No, actually, uh, I was I was a complete nerd. Uh, I don't even know if the the phrase nerd was around. I'm so old, but uh, <laughs> I may have invented being a nerd. Um, I was sort of antisocial. Uh, I was I was not the class clown. I was never the popular kid. Um, in fact, as I as I think back, when uh, you know when other kids were socializing and dating and everything in high school, I was I was the guy in. Uh, in my bedroom uh, alone playing Stratomatic Baseball, which um, I played like an entire season, and I kept all the stats, and, you know, I just did, <laughs> did uh, things that, uh, looking back, were a little bit embarrassing. But, um, yeah, I uh, I don't know how I fell into this job, uh, but it's uh, it's been a totally um, unexpected life uh, for me, an unexpected career, I should say, and um, and... Yeah, I wrote a. I actually wrote a song called "The Ballad of 1440," which was the house address, mm-hmm. and uh, and the song sort of um, conveys just you know, how grateful and stunned I am that uh, everything worked out for me this way. How long were you in that house for? Oh gosh, uh, we lived. Uh, we moved there when I was probably three years old, and uh, and I lived there till I went off to college. So, you know, a while. Yeah. To what do you attribute your interest in sports? Stratomatic is very, it's, it's not just liking sports. It's like, it's really nerding out on the numbers of sports. Was that something that your parents got you into? No. Um, you know, I was, I always had an aptitude for statistics for some reason. Uh, and, um, I fell in love with baseball in 1967, uh, with the, the Red Sox impossible dream season. Uh, Carl Yastrzemski was, was my first boyhood hero. Uh, and, and that's why I bought um, the 1967 Stratomatic season. Uh, somewhere in a closet near me right now is is that uh, that 50 year old uh, board game uh, in dilapidated condition because I'm a hoarder. I don't throw anything away, and um, <laughs> so that that led to my loving baseball, uh, which in turn led to my liking sports. Uh, I'm not sure if I love sports, but um, I, I like sports, and, and baseball in 1967 was the reason. Did you play sports growing up? Oh, yeah. I played uh, I played baseball, um, you know, on, on teams, uh, and, and then just football, you know, just playing catch with my dad and stuff like that. Uh, I got lucky because, uh, you know, I was – my dad and I went to the first Dolphins game in 1966 and uh, sort of grew up as a Dolphins fan and, you know – uh, that, uh, but again, get, you know, it was a total accident how I happened to get into writing. Uh, but but being a sports fan always came naturally to me. Did you connect with your father over that? Was that something that you think you would have had natural interest in anyway? Because the people, other people around you, family or friends, were into it, or is that very much something that came from that relationship? Yeah, it did. Um, my dad and I definitely grew uh, closer because of the Dolphins. He was more of a football fan um and i was a little bit more of a a baseball fan but through the dolphins we definitely connected i I remember um when uh when the dolphins won their first playoff game they beat kansas city in the longest game and my dad and i were watching together on tv and um i remember the two of us just embracing and jumping up and down together when uh when the dolphins finally won that game on a garrow Premium field goal um i think uh, it was so long ago the high five hadn't been uh, and the fist bump hadn't been invented yet so we we hugged and uh, and pogoed up and down 
<laughs> uh, so tell me about, uh, as you're getting ready to, to finish high school, what were your thoughts about college? What did you want to study? Were you still a, a pretty antisocial, shy kid? Yeah, I was I was a totally unmotivated student. Um, I, I had great parents, but they were not the type to know when report cards came out and keep on top of me academically. So, you know, I, I sort of slid through high school as, a, as sort of a, an underperforming C-plus student who had no designs on going to college at all. Instead, uh, you know, through circumstance, I, I became the, the first member of my family to graduate from college. And and that's all on account of uh, a certain teacher I had in high school uh, who was the advisor of the school newspaper. Uh, I joined the school newspaper just because a friend of mine was on it, not because I had any interest in writing, but uh, this advisor uh, saw something in me that she nurtured, and, um, and, and that's, she motivated me to go on to college and, and continue writing. And, um, you know, I, I owe her so much. I actually, um, again, you know, 40 years after the fact, I, I tracked her down via social media uh, a couple of years ago and, um, and just thanked her for all she had done for me. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty incredible how you have the right person at the right time give you a little nudge and it can change your whole path. Um, oh, so where gosh, did you go to school? It really can. Um, like I say, I don't know that I would have stumbled into this career if it was not for that one person um, identifying a writing skill and nurturing it and, and encouraging me. And to, and to this day, I have so much respect for great teachers. Yeah. Uh, they just mean the world. Where did you end up going to school? Um, I just went to a local junior college uh, down here in, in Broward County. It was, it was called Broward Community College at the time. Now it's just Broward College. Uh, my family didn't have much money. You know, I, I, I couldn't certainly couldn't afford to go to UM or anything like that. So I just started off at a junior college, graduated there, and then uh, went on to FAU in um, in Boca Raton. So I've been of uh, stayed local. So, what was your first job after college? Well, first, before I get to that, what was a what was collegiate Greg Cody like? Did you blossom at all? Did you open up? Did this newfound passion for writing change your approach or did you kind of slide through college too no i think uh, I, I definitely think i began to blossom um you know when i when i got into college you know my my social circle expanded um you know i i began becoming uh, something of a you know a prominent writer in terms of my college newspaper and everything and uh you know i gathered a little bit of popularity at that time and um and i began to sort of grow into myself um at, at that time so what was the first job after school well my first job after school um you know i had a couple of jobs that i don't even count because they they were short-lived i, I worked at a i stocked shelves at a drugstore and uh, you know, delivered newspapers and stuff like that. But you know, my first job of any note was uh, was part time with the Miami Herald, and and that again happened totally by accident uh, because my bro- my older brother uh, happened to see an ad in the Herald uh, advertising for a local 
the, the Fort Lauderdale office was advertising for a, a local clerk to, to work in the sports department. And my brother, uh, I didn't read the paper at that time, my brother did and um, pointed out that ad to me. And I applied for the job and I got it. So uh, that, that never would have happened if, if not for my brother. So it's been just a series of uh, happy mishaps uh, that have uh, led me to this uh, odd career of mine. Yeah, because, you know, you know, I interviewed Dan and his lifelong dream, his his end all be all was to be a columnist for the Herald. You weren't even reading it at the time. Uh, did you have designs on being a sports writer or even working for a newspaper or what what were you aiming for as you were doing those other sort of odd jobs after school? Uh, I can't say that that I was aiming for anything, to be honest with you, um, you know, had uh had the sports editor at the time, Jim Martz, who's still around, I still see him occasionally, um, who, who hired me. If, if he hadn't hired me, if I hadn't gotten that job, I have no idea what I would have done. I don't, you know, I didn't have a burning desire to be a professional writer. Um, I didn't really have any skills to do anything else. I, I don't know what my career would have been if, uh, if I hadn't been hired and, and if that hadn't led to uh, just a, a slow climb up the up the ladder, uh, you know, to become eventually uh, a sports columnist. Hey, everybody! Make sure to check out the sports question mark podcast with Katie Nolan. In March, they do a bunch of brackets. Recent episodes, they talked about sports movies, bagged snacks, dynamic duos, best ad reads. So those are always fun. And of course, the ad reads pod is a great one because Katie has to do an impression every time she does an ad. Sometimes she even has to sing. It's not good, but very entertaining. Go listen to the sports question mark podcast with Katie Nolan. What did your parents do for a living? Uh, my mother was uh, just a stay-at-home mom, uh, I guess uh, what back then used to be called a housewife, <clears throat> and um, my dad was a carpenter. He um, he built most of the furniture in my, in my house growing up. That's cool. And, uh, yeah, he, he was a, a master carpenter and uh, uh, also uh, a pretty good artist uh, who, who drew paintings and everything. Do you think that your dad liked what he did? Was he passionate about it, or was he the kind of dad who would come home and just be happy not to be at work? Yeah, I think I think it was that. Um, uh, you know, my my poor dad would would come home from work, and uh, I would immediately uh, toss a football at him and uh, cajole <laughs> him into uh, going in the backyard and and playing catch with me, even though uh, he was dog tired. And uh, you know, he was the quarterback, and I'd run the routes and. He always said, if, if it touches your fingers, you should catch it. You know, there was there was never an excuse to to miss a ball that was thrown a little bit high. Uh, he was, a, you know, my my parents were great. Uh, I I really, even though, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of money. Um, I remember my mother and I, you know, walking to the grocery store to, you know, exchange empty bottles for the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the money you got back, and um, so we didn't have a lot of money, but. Uh, uh, they they were just great. I had a real good uh, childhood, I think. Do you think that maybe you're um, not having big goals or dreams or, or maybe not being super ambitious stems from parents who weren't doing things that they loved, who weren't passing on to you this idea of pursuing um, something that goes beyond a paycheck? Um, it, it, that could very well be, yeah, because, um, like I say, as as 
as good a childhood as I had and as, as great I, as I feel about my parents and everything, um, they didn't push me a lot, you know. Like I say, they never thought to ask about report cards or anything like that. So um, it's, I've just been so fortunate uh, that I ended up with a career because uh, if, a, if, if a couple of things hadn't happened, if I, if I didn't have a, a teacher in high school who pushed me, if, if I hadn't been hired as that clerk the first time I applied, um, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't know what I'd be doing. I, I certainly wouldn't be uh, <laughs> have, have fallen into what uh, I ended up falling into because uh, that would have taken motivation. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you make your way from, from clerk to columnist at the Herald? Um, well, it, it, it was a, it was a tall ladder with, uh, with a lot of rungs on it. Um, you know, my, my first job was answering phones and, uh, and writing a bowling column. I, I wrote a local bowling column. So, uh, you know, back then, if, uh, if you were a good bowler in Broward County, uh, you knew who I was because I was calling and interviewing you about the, uh, <laughs> the 288 game you just rolled. Um, but, uh you know that that was fun, and the the first uh, the first thing that ever happened to me that made me realize I had fallen into a pretty interesting uh, job is when I was answering the phone one day, uh, and and it was Chris Everett calling, who at the time was uh, one of the biggest tennis stars in the world. Yeah, and she was calling to uh, ask for Jim Martz, the boss who'd hired me, because he was a tennis writer. So I'm like. All of a sudden, I'm speaking with Chris Everett, you know, and it, it, that was pretty neat. So you're working on the bowling beat. How do you how do you move up from there? Um, my first big break was uh, covering the Fort Lauderdale Strikers soccer team, which uh, at the time the the North American Soccer League was a pretty big deal, and the Strikers, you know, this is before we had the Marlins or the Panthers or the Heat. So it was really just the Dolphins and the Strikers in terms of pro teams. And the Strikers would draw 15,000 fans a game, and uh, we had a big budget at that time. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm a kid being sent to Vancouver, you know, to cover a soccer game. So uh, that made me feel like I'd sort of arrived a little bit. And um, in a couple of years after that, I was covering the University of Miami uh, football team during the Jimmy Johnson era in 84 to 88 and those were some some great and and controversial teams that was that was just a a bounty of stuff to cover um covered the dolphins for a couple of years in the early 90s um you know and then um became a a full-time columnist in the in the mid 90s so it's it's you know I'll, i'll pay some dues um you know i can't uh i can't say i didn't uh earn what I've accomplished, but uh, it took a while. I get the feeling your headshot hasn't changed since you were named <laughs> columnist in the mid-90s. Don't make me laugh. My infamous cough may... Uh, <laughs> That's very true. Return. You're right. Oh, um, we're going to get to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I, I probably need a new headshot, but uh, I, don't, I don't mind looking um, 30 years younger than I actually am. <laughs> right. That's okay. Um, the paper has changed a lot, even if your headshot remains. Uh, and you talk about that a lot on the radio show, usually to mine for jokes. But how difficult has it been for you working in an industry and not 
leaving in the way that Dan did or many others have done to, to, to internet or television jobs um, and st- sticking with it as so many things change within it. Right. Um, you know, it's it, that's been fine by me um, because in a way I feel like I have an, an internet job in the sense that, you know, newspapers, uh, the, the print version of newspapers are dying, but uh, the digital version I, I, I think has a future. And, um, you know, it, it's, I think more people are reading me now than, than ever before because of the digital edition. You know, half of the email I get is, you know, from people far flung all over the country. Um, and so, you know, there's still a readership out there for the newspaper writer, but uh, it, it's just not what it once was. In fact, our, uh, our mutual friend Levitard uh, was, was making fun of me um, last year. Uh, I, I happened to be named a top ten uh, columnist by the Associated Press sports editors, and of course, Levitard says, "Yeah, that's because there's only eleven columnists left in the entire country." <laughs> and he may be right, but uh, whatever. Um, you mentioned the internet side of things. The um, the clicks. I mean, it is part of your job to draw interest, to write about things that people want to read, and. You know, you joke on the show and on your Twitter account about people doing you a favor by clicking and leaving it open, even if they don't read it. How how stressful is that? I, I've written for clicks before. It's not very fun to think about in the moment versus what do I find interesting and think is compelling, um, and 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 maybe not always writing that. And instead, writing this is something that's going to make people angry or make people want to click so that they can comment. Right. Yeah. No. You're you're 100 percent right. I mean. You know, it's it's just difficult because it steers your choices. It, you know, I, I realize that anything I write about the Miami Dolphins sort of has an automatic base of, of readers, whereas, you know, the Marlins are about to open the season, and if I write a Marlins column, it's just going to be Death Valley compared to sort of like the stadium. Time I choose, yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, controversy sells. Uh, when I wrote that the Dolphins should uh, – be the team to sign Colin Kaepernick, you know, that got a bunch of clicks and uh, stuff like that. So, yeah, but it, it changes the way you think as a columnist. You're, you're no longer writing just what you think is interesting. You're sort of, you know, guessing, well, what's, what's going to draw eyeballs here? Does you, your communication with your editors or your bosses, has it changed over the years because the goals are different? Well, I would say so, you know, Everything is quantified now, of course, and, you know, I, I know on a daily basis in real time how many people are reading whatever I've written, and uh, and I know how many people are reading what other people on the staff have written. So, you know, there's sort of a a, a competition that there never used to be. You know, uh, I'm, uh, what, what I'm writing is getting more readers than what you're writing. You know, it's a, it's not a pleasant part of the business. Uh, I almost preferred it back when you uh, uh, were allowed to just blindly assume that everybody's reading what you're writing and didn't have exact (laughs) numbers to show you that they weren't. We'll be right back with more That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Did you know the average interest rate on credit card debt is over 18% APR? Have you looked at your interest rate lately? 
Refinance your high-interest credit card balances and save with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. Get a rate as low as 6.14% APR with AutoPay. Get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000 and there are no fees. You can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. When you have good credit, you deserve great service and a low-interest fixed-rate loan from Lightstream. That's lending uncomplicated. Want to save even more? My listeners get an additional interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is go to lightstream.com slash Spain. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash Spain. Subject to credit approval, rate includes a 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash Spain for more information. Talk about your infamous upset bird picks where you're predicting NFL games and how that actually stemmed from something with uh, Dan Levitard. Yeah, um, the upset bird is sort of a, a fictional character that, that helps me uh, decide what, what are going to be the big upsets of the week. Uh, and uh, Levitard and I one day uh, in, in, in the office uh, in Miami, back when uh, journalists actually went to an office um, you know, we were sitting next to each other uh, in our cute little cubbyhole desks and, you know, yucking it up as we normally did. And he, uh, I think he invented the upset bird. Uh, we were talking about my picks, and uh, I don't know why he said it, but he, I think he just said, what's the upset bird think or something like that. And it sort of, it sort of stuck. And, you know, to this day, uh, Levitard might, send me a, a, a two-word uh, text out of the blue saying the phrase Mecklenburg grin <laughs> because, you know, 30 years ago or whenever we first met, there was a NFL player named Carl Mecklenburg, and I made a joke about his smile, and we invented the phrase Mecklenburg grin, and, and decades later, we uh, it, it's still like a little inside joke between us. So you've been at the Herald almost 25 years. Is there one story that stands out to you as most memorable, whether it's most memorable to write or a relationship it fostered? Well, uh, the the thing I wrote that to this day people still remember is is what has come to be known as the Trade Marino column. Um, back in the 90s, uh, when he was still really good, um, I proposed that, you know, they were not winning anything with him, and perhaps while he still has trade value, uh, they should consider trading him. And um, and that was such a, a controversial column at the time that, you know, I was doing local TV cameras were coming to my house to interview me, and, <laughs> you know, to, to this day, uh, I'll get emails making fun of me for uh, wanting to trade Marino, even though uh, I think what I wrote then uh, was justified in that you know, he went like the last uh, 15 years of his career without uh, getting the team uh, to a Super Bowl. So uh, I don't think it would have hurt the team to uh, investigate a trade. But that, that that's the one column that uh, that is most often cited uh, as, uh, as, as pretty memorable. And that's a column that I don't know if it would be as memorable now because people are throwing around crazy hot takes 
just to see what sticks and to see if they can rile people up in ways that I think. And also, there's so many more voices making so many more points. It used to be that that the the columnist of 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 record for whatever the local paper was was the end all be all, and and their say on something reflected what what the truth was, or at least a, uh, an important opinion. Is it harder now to create a movement or have people be interested in your opinions when there are so many out there? It, it absolutely is. Uh, you know, and, and your point is is well made. Uh, now, you know, if, if I'm writing a trade Marino column, you know, chances are Stephen A. Smith would have already proposed the idea, and uh, and they would have been uh, debating it uh, on PTI. You know, it's it's tough to be the first to say anything or to write anything. Which is why the sports columnist is a is a dying breed. Um, you know, so many of my friends and colleagues who do exactly what I do have been laid off and have you know taken early buyouts and sort of been phased out because uh, for exactly the reason you say, there's so much opinion out there by so many people that uh, the local sports columnist isn't you know looked at in in the same way. Uh, he, he or she was when, for example, Edwin Pope was sort of the king of of South Florida media and, and my idol. When you look back at a story, and maybe not the Moreno one, I don't know how you feel about that one, but is there maybe another one that you look back and you say, man, I was so wrong about that? <clears throat> um, oh, gosh, I've, I've probably been wrong about uh, <laughs> about a lot over the years. Um, you know, uh, <clears throat> Levitard would argue that I've been wrong whenever I've uh, championed local stadiums uh, such as the uh, controversial deal to build Marlins Park, which mm-hmm. which I supported and, and turned out to be sort of a, a terrible deal for the city. Uh, but, you know, my justification is that, uh, you know, it, 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 it's good for South Florida to have uh, a permanent team and a permanent home, and it's up to uh, it's up to the city to broker the best deal they can it's not up to the owner of the team to not get the best deal he can so you know we we differ on that but uh uh yeah there have been plenty of things uh i've written that turned out to be sort of ridiculous but uh you know through <laughs> therapy i've tried to forget them all <laughs> uh was there a story that you got beat out on or, or or a story that you chased or you thought you had a relationship and you got beat on and it and it sticks with you oh yeah um you know, beat writing is, is, I don't think, was a natural for me. I, I don't think it was my forte, which is probably one of the reasons they kicked me upstairs to be a, a columnist, is that I've gotten beat too much. Um, you know, I had a, I had a great relationship with, uh, with Jimmy Johnson, but, uh, but I didn't get the story that he and his whole staff were, uh, going to Dallas in a hostile takeover of Tom Landry, which turned out to be a pretty big deal, by the way. <laughs> and uh, in fairness, nobody uh, th- nobody got that story. It, it, it uh, was a shock to everybody. But, you know, that's a story I, I could have had but didn't, uh, just as an example. So would you say he was the closest athlete or coach in terms of relationships, or is there someone else over the years? Um, you know, Zach Thomas and I have... Uh, have always had a great relationship uh i try not to um i try not to get real chummy with the people i cover to be honest with you and maybe that's been to my detriment in some ways but uh uh, i i just like to to keep an independence you know i like to 
I like to feel uh, clear to to criticize people, and you know, sometimes if you have a a close relationship with somebody, it, it does affect what you say or, or the way you say it about them. And uh, so, yeah, I haven't uh, I haven't become chummy with uh, with a lot. Uh, I mean, Ray Hudson and I, the the soccer guy, he's now a soccer announcer. Um, he was with the Strikers way back then. He and I always have had a great relationship. But uh, you know, I, I never was a guy who uh, you know went out drinking with the people I covered or anything like that. What's it like for you to? now have this newfound celebrity and be known in a completely different way because of your connection to the radio show and, and being on TV? Wow, that's been a life changer for me. It's been such uh, an unexpected bounce to uh, to my late career, to be honest with you. I mean, it, it's astounding. Uh, I mean, the other day I met the guy, I think he's a record producer from Atlanta, who has a tattoo of me on his lower leg. Juju Gotti. Yeah, Juju Gotti. It's it's a tattoo. I thought it was a joke when they first told me about it, but I saw it with my own eyes. And It's like a huge tattoo of my face and last name on his leg. And it's just, uh, I'm, I'm at a loss to explain anything so ridiculous. Um, there's a local minor league baseball team, uh, Minnesota Twins affiliate, that's, in July is going to have a Greg Cody day, which again is just so ridiculous. I can't even begin to explain it, but you know, the Levitard show fans are so loyal and um, for some reason they've, they've seemed to embrace me, which is just a huge uh, thrill for me. It really is. I imagine you met Dan through the Herald. Describe when you first met him. Did you like him? Did you guys always get along or how did you become such close friends? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think we really uh, hit it off from the, from the beginning. Uh, you know, he he made me laugh. I, I make him laugh, and and that's the. I think we both agree that that's the foundation of everything. You know, we've we've had discussions where, you know, the my wife makes me laugh, his fiance makes him laugh, and and those are prerequisites with us. You know, we have to surround ourselves with um with humor, and and that's what we had in common i think and um that's really what allowed a friendship to happen in the first place because you know when i when i look back on it there were a lot of reasons why our friendship should never have happened and and most of them would have been uh, rooted in in me being jealous or territorial because you know he was a kid um right out of college and intern at the herald and and his rise was going to be meteoric and and i knew it and um you know it didn't take long for him to be the star writer um instead of myself and if i wasn't okay with that if i didn't understand why and and respect why um my ego never would have allowed our friendship to happen but um uh, you know i liked him so much and i i saw such obvious talent that uh that I understood, and uh, and it allowed us to uh, become lifelong friends. You guys often allude to various trips you've taken together and the resulting hangovers. Is there a particular one that you want to share with us? Uh, probably, we've been to Mardi Gras together twice, and I, I think the first time we went, um, yeah, we we were so hungover and we were late to the airport, and 
we missed a flight and my wife's yelling at me and you know it's <laughs> that was uh that was sort of a nightmare i think there were seven of us uh all sharing a, a hotel room in new orleans because you know at the time nobody had uh, crazy money and um and those were fun uh th- those were fun times yeah when you go out drinking with Dan, and maybe it's changed over the course of the years, and you've traded back and forth, but who is more likely to be the one making sure the other one gets home or cutting the other one off? Um, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say, because I'm older <laughs> than Dan, that that he tends to play that role uh, <laughs> while I'm the one who's uh, very happy to you know have one more and then and then Uber home. You know, uh, one of my many faults is that. Uh, you know, I am not a teetotaler, uh, yes. to say the least. So, Once you uh, get going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the infamous video of you stumbling into the bushes that your son has procured and, and put onto T-shirts and, and tried to convince people to pay money to get to watch. How realistic is your fury over the idea of that being being released to the public? Or is that part of the, uh, the sort of the- theatrics of the show? Uh, well, it, maybe maybe it's both, and, and I would explain that by saying, yes, I would prefer <laughs> that that was no, that nobody saw the video, and that it certainly that it wasn't on T-shirts. Uh, but you know, the, the reality is, um, you know, my son is one of the producers of that show, and um, you know, he he may have gotten the job because. He was my son, but he's kicked the door open and done very, very well, as as Dan would tell you. And you know, but one of my jobs as a part of the show is is to help him in any way I can. And if this was going to be good for him, you know, financially and otherwise, then uh, then I sort of grimaced and and went along with it. So you know, it's yeah, that was that was sort of a weird thing. Again, not a. Not a not a thrilling uh, highlight of my career to uh, to have me stumbling into a bush uh, appear on a T-shirt. <laughs> Would you say when you first when did you first start appearing on any iteration of Dan's radio show? Wow, we uh, I used to be on. He did it. I can't remember the year, but he used to do a show on like early Sunday morning, and um, and and I would come on as the singing sports writer. <laughs> and uh, you know, sing jingles, and we'd just yuck it up, and um, that was pre-Stu Gotts. I think it was just Dan, and and I was on occasionally. And but uh, in in the current edition of the show, I think I've been on since 2014. I think it's been about five years or so, and um, and it's just been terrific. You know, it, it's given me a sort of a sense of uh, a feeling of celebrity that I've never had, and. And never imagined, and and it's also been good for the uh, my alter ego as a writer because um, you know I think people who enjoy me uh, on the air do tend to uh, gravitate uh, to what I'm writing as well, although not not as much as I would like. Would you say because everyone on that show sort of they are an exaggerated version of themselves, but they're a bit of a character. Would you say when you first started with them to now you've become more comfortable? being the butt of a joke or if that video if falling in the bushes had come out back you know in the first couple months would you be as open to the exploitation of it for for laughs and for everybody's amusement i know I, I probably i probably grew into feeling sort of comfortable with the role you know 
Dan um, is a master director, and he sort of cast me in a certain role on that show. And um, it's not always a complete thrill for me, but, um, you know, I also am am allowed and encouraged to be my serious self at times. So, really, I, I don't mind being the... Uh, the second Stugatz type character, <laughs> as long as, you know, once or twice a show, you know, I get to, to have the 30 or 45 second podium where, uh, where I can say something that's actually serious. That, that's right. the balance. That's the balance that I absolutely have to have on that show. We've heard a lot about the PFPI Awards Gala, uh, the odd goings on in your garage. What are some other weird Cody habits that we would all be uh, delighted to learn? Oh man, uh, the, the PFPI Gala is, uh, that's been a tradition. That's been in my family literally since the late 60s. Um, although not continuously. We quit, uh, you know, we grew up and quit and took like 25 years off and brought it back in 2004. But that's seriously a, a family tradition that I would encourage, um, all families to, to find a way to have something like that that just brings the generations together and, and is a fun thing to do. And for those um, who don't know, this is fantasy football related, but it's interfamily. It's and it involves you know a full award show at the end. Yeah, yeah, it's the award show that uh, that Levitard delights in, in making <laughs> fun of. It's uh, it's an annual gala where I dress up in a suit because I'm the commissioner of the league, uh, parenthetically, and um, you know I present awards and and we have speeches and we have walk up songs and. It's one of those things that's ridiculous as we're doing it, and, and we all know it's ridiculous, but we're all in on the joke, and, and so it's like a half-serious, half-silly uh, thing that we do, but, um, but it's been great. I, I love doing it. So the other weird habits you've got or weird traditions? Um, nothing comes to mind. I'm a, you know, I'm a big home cook. I, I love to, to cook, and uh, we have a big Sunday meal every every week and um you know the garage is a place where uh where i spend too, way too much of my time uh less so now because i i quit cigar smoking and, and that, my habit used to be you know haunting my garage and smoking cigars and in doing other things that are bad for me like drinking beer and and but we've sort of cut out the cigars so that's that's helped me spend less time in the garage the infamous <laughs> garage you mentioned the sunday dinners there's a running joke on the show that they often play where you uh, selfishly prefer to cook whatever works for you, uh, not always thinking about others in the family. Do you happen to remember off the top of your head what your son's wife is allergic to? Uh, I better know by now because uh, I've, I've, I've cooked both of these things on Sundays when she's been over. Uh, she's allergic to shrimp and hates mushrooms. There you go. Okay. And those are two of my favorite things of all time. Uh, well, I'm with her because I hate both of them. So if I ever oh come to God. the Cody house, I'll just stick oh. with her and I'll eat whatever she's eating. <laughs> wow. How can you hate those things? Good Lord. Um, tell me about working with your son. It's something that I talked to Dan about working with family and, and what it means to him beyond the obvious. But um, to actually you know, go to a place of business and not only see him on the job, but get to interact and be a part of it. What What does that mean to you? Yeah, it's a, it's a thrill, to be honest with you. And it... And, uh, it part, partly it's a thrill because it's something I never anticipated happening. Uh, you know, it's not like I was conspiring four years ago to, to get him an internship on the show or anything. It just sort of happened. And, and, I, and I think it was Dan who, 
who sort of pushed it. And, um, you know, Christopher wasn't sure what he wanted to do, but he sort of had an idea that um, he wanted to do something that was sports-related. You know, and, and I'm talking to him about maybe using some of my connections to get him an internship with, uh, you know, some team PR department or something. And But he's having a lot more fun doing this. I tell you, he um, he loves going to work. He loves making the drive to South Beach every morning. And um, and he's become very good uh, at what he does. You know, he's primarily the guy who posts the show podcast, which is so popular. Um, so that's one of his main responsibilities. So I've really seen him grow as a young man. I've, I've seen him, I've seen his personality blossom. I've seen his self-confidence grow uh, related to uh, to this show. So of all the back in my days you've done for the show, is there one that stands out as your favorite? You know, yes. Uh, I have, I probably have four or five that, that I think would be on my back in my day Mount Rushmore the book uh, the, when you put the, the book one, together the one that always <laughs> seems to come to mind is uh i did one on uh, on bridges and and just how unfair it is for draw bridges to go up <laughs> and hold up a bunch of traffic and you know the mast uh, slowly coming by like a raised middle finger that was um <laughs> that was one that i particularly enjoyed i did another one oh, we have one of those our- in chicago and it's right in the middle of downtown it doesn't happen very often but if you do get the middle finger from the boat going by as you're sitting in your car wondering how in 2019 this is still the way things work, uh, I will forever think of the middle finger when that happens. Oh, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> but but that was uh, that was a good one. I've done one on coffee, making fun of all the designer coffee going on now. And uh, uh, but, but I enjoyed it. It's tough coming up with, with ideas because I've been doing those for mm-hmm. four years, you know. So every once in a while I probably tend to repeat myself without knowing it or whatever. But... Uh, that's been fun. It, it's like a staple that uh, a lot of people seem to enjoy. So you recently inked a new deal with ESPN. Tell us uh, whatever details you are allowed by 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 your contract. Yeah, um, I basically went from being um, just a, I forget what the phrase is, uh, just an occasional guy to to actually having an ESPN contract. And I, I think all it means is that uh, in addition to uh, my regular Tuesday co-host gig, um, I'm occasionally on a second day a week or I'm doing more stuff, uh, you know, in terms of content. Uh, you know, we Christopher and I did uh, a father and son related baseball related thing just the other day where we had a, a videographer come over to the house and tape us and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's just an, an expanded role that, that mostly shows on um, on increased video type content and and occasional uh, extra appearances in studio congratulations that's great Thank that's you. awesome yeah I'm, I'm enjoying it and i should say the miami herald is is great because you know they could easily put their foot down and say no you know what are you doing but uh you know i i convinced them that uh nothing i do uh connected with the radio is ever going to prevent me from writing if i'm needed to write so uh, it's been a great uh relationship you mentioned the cough earlier i haven't gotten you to laugh nearly as much as i would like in terms of hoping that you would uh you know reveal yourself and and, and that hack to everybody yeah. uh but you know allow, uh, understanding that dr mcgillicuddy would only allow for for so much information and whatever you're comfortable with what were you going through recently that you talked a bit about on the show um <clears throat> well i i had fairly major surgery last september um where i had a benign tumor 
sizable benign tumor removed from my chest. And um, the the way we found out about that is through this cough. Uh, I, you know, I've been having a, a fairly persistent cough since late last summer. And um, my doctor finally prescribed a chest X-ray, and that revealed the tumor, and that led to the surgery. But now, all these months later, uh, it, it's the cough is still an issue. I, I you know, I think we're close to. Uh, identifying the cause it it could be it could be asthma um we're not 100 percent sure yet but uh it, it's nothing uh it, it's nothing that uh my doctors uh tell me i should be extremely overly concerned about so um it, it's getting better we're uh, we're doing good glad to hear that um yeah. before we let you go we have to do the one thing that everybody does but nobody expects didn't expect a kind of spanish inquisition Inquisition. That's right. The Spanish Inquisition. The questions everybody gets and nobody expects. Number one, your Desert Island album. You're stuck on a desert island. You only get one music album for your life. What is it? Oh, wow. Oh, man. Um, I might go with, uh, I, I might go with uh, uh, Bob Marley, uh, Greatest Hits, The Legend Ooh, album. That's a very good fit for an island. That's a good choice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number two, what habit or quality do you think has contributed most to your success? I would say a sense of humor and, uh, dare say, a little bit of a, a writing skill. <laughs> One would hope. Uh, <laughs> number three, what would you consider your biggest failure? Oh, wow. Boy, that's, uh, that's a serious one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Failure may be too strong a word, but one of my few regrets in life is that I'm such a huge music fan. I wish I had learned to play the guitar or the piano. Um, I, I wish I had the aptitude and the the, the go to uh, to have learned an instrument. That's a good one because I tried to learn the guitar my senior year of college, and that was first of all really dumb because who tries to learn something their senior year of college? You're like right. drunk all the time, and you're you know <laughs> finishing school. Um, but I'm the same way. I would I would love to learn the guitar. I'm hoping for some random one year hiatus some year where I just put my put my head down and give it a shot. Yeah, um, that's a real regret. Uh, yeah. Not a failure. Yeah. Uh, number four, have you ever been in a fist fight? Um, yeah, just sort of a uh, sort of a baseball fist fight, you know, like a slap fight where two guys are going at it who really don't want to land any punches and they just want the other guy to cower and, right. and slink away. Um, we used to have rock fights as a kid, where which is just the most ridiculous thing in the world, where we would actually throw, you know, tennis ball sized rocks at each other. What? At what yeah. age? Yeah, in my neighborhood. Uh, you know, maybe yeah, 10 or 12, something like that. Did you ever take one anywhere serious? Uh, yeah, I got I got hit uh once uh in the in the upper shoulder and it uh, you know, it actually made a big bruise and bled and everything. <laughs> that is a, sort of ridiculous, that is a, but yeah. you know, we were kids. Dumb Did you ever kids. hear of the game Buns Up or Butts Up? No. It was an idiotic game and the result was is if you got hit by this tennis ball uh, and you didn't catch it on the first thing and it bounced off you. You had to line up against a wall and people got to just peg you with balls. It, I mean, it was, it was just, kids are stupid, but we didn't use yes. rocks at least. Yeah, I we, think we, we evolved. Being stupid. Yes. <laughs> right. We evolved the tennis balls at least. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> number five, if you could switch lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? Uh, Dan Levitard. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, if I could switch lives with anyone for just a day, uh, you know, I saw, um, I'm a, I'm a big Elton John fan and we saw him play down here 
a couple of weeks ago, and he's on that big fair, endless mm-hmm. fair. I saw it. It's so good. And, yeah, and uh, watching him perform live and, and just feeling the adulation and, and the worship in the audience, I, I think I would like to be him for one concert and just be able to look out from my piano seat and, and see that maniacal love flowing toward me. Yeah, the rush of the crowd is, is oh, yeah. incredible. Uh, the closest I've felt to being a rock star is the couple times I've been in a parade for the Cubs or the Blackhawks where I'm on the double-decker buses on top. And nice. it is this unbelievable energy that's, like, screaming at you from, you know, all these thousands of people. It's pretty uh, oh. pretty unbelievable. Yeah, it really is. Uh, number six, what's the most embarrassed you've ever been? Probably when those T-shirts came out of me falling <laughs> into a bush. Uh, that, 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 would rank, uh, that would rank way up there. That, that was... Something played for laughs that uh, that, I, that that was a, a genuine embarrassment to me. Uh, so I, I would say that ranks up there. I once got duped uh, into writing something that was a total falsehood, and uh, oh no! And, and the competing Miami News had a front page story, uh, you know, doing the set wreck on something I'd written. So that was sort of embarrassing. That was what? my professional embarrassment. What was the story? Um, it was way back in the Fort Lauderdale Strikers days, and. I think it was at the time of the the British Falkland Islands War, that brief little war, and uh, one of the Strikers players um, told me that his sister was on a, a troop ship headed to the Falkland Islands, and uh, and I wrote that, and it turned out to be a complete falsehood that he had just completely made up, and you know I was a kid at the time, and 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 that was a learned lesson for me. Was he doing that to try to? make you look bad or he was just oh, having well, fun he was doing it as a joke he was like the prankster of the team <laughs> which, which i learned that day and uh and never uh, believed him again but uh yeah i don't think he was doing it to be malicious but just to sort of have fun with me i've never really thought about how easy it would be for athletes to do that to us all the time and we would have no idea <laughs> well yeah because when you know when somebody tells you something you you trust them you know when, right when you're when you're interviewing a fan and you ask him for his name, you don't ask to see his ID. You right. trust that he's gonna, you know, be, be telling you the truth. I mean, so that's uh, you did yeah, interview a lot weird. of Seymour Butts, though. I think you probably should have caught <laughs> on eventually. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, number eight, the brand new Spanish Inquisition question: If you could play commish for a day, what one rule would you enforce that all of society would have to adhere to? Oh man, yeah. Um, I have I have a menagerie of pet peeves. I have so many <laughs> things that that just annoy me in a minor way. But um, I, I would say it, it, it's simple. But I would say the express line is for ten items or less, and that means ten <laughs> items or less. I can't tell you how many times I've been in the express line, and I'm literally counting the items being put on the belt ahead of me. And if it's if it's more than you know, I, I have a grace period. If it's eleven or twelve, I bite my tongue. But if it's like 15, 18, <laughs> I, I will start murmuring loudly to nobody. Uh, something to the effect, uh, you know, I guess they don't teach math like they used to in schools anymore. You know, <laughs> so I would say the, you know, adhere the 10 items or less rule would be my, uh, my commission's uh, edict. That's a great choice. I would have gone with, you know, maybe don't murder anyone. But that I think that's just as important. Uh, it really is. you got to ma- deal with the small stuff first. That's true. And then get to the big stuff. <laughs> that's very true. Uh, number nine, what's the most scared you've ever been? Um, I would say it was going into my surgery last fall uh, and, and everything that came with it. Um, 
I remember, uh, you know, I'm a guy who's never had health issues. You know, it, prior to this surgery, the biggest issue, you know, uh, of filling a, a cavity was like a, an ordeal for me. So this was a big deal. And then all of a sudden, you know, my wife and I are in a doctor's office holding hands, waiting for, uh, you know, a, uh, a, a surgeon to tell us that, uh, you know, whether or not my tumor is cancerous or not. And, mm. and that, was, that was pretty scary. That's very scary. Uh, number 10, what three words would you most hope that people would use to describe you? Not necessarily a phrase, but it could be three separate words. Um, I would say uh, funny, fair, and honest. Mm, those are good ones for a reporter, that's for sure. That's, yeah. a, good, that's a good trio. Uh, and the bonus... You. The bonus question is, uh, who would you recommend that I have on the podcast to interview? Oh, wow. Uh, you, you go into entertainment as well, right? Yeah, you, just anybody. Just yep. Well, I can, I can tell you who my, my, my new crush is. I don't even <laughs> know if you've heard of her. Uh, uh, a singer named Brandy Carlisle. Oh, she's amazing. Oh, my gosh. I heard her performance on, on the Grammys mm-hmm. of her song called The Joke, and it brought me to tears because it yeah. was such a... A powerful uh, performance, powerful song, um, built for the times. Uh, for so many reasons, it just really, really moved me. And she has such an interesting life, and she's such, such an activist. In addition to being a terrific songwriter, I would, I would uh, be all over that podcast. I would listen, uh, listen uh, twice. Yeah, she's a, she's a great suggestion. Um, I've actually seen her live once too. She's fantastic. Um, oh, I want to see her live. Yeah, I think I have a connection, so I'm going to look into that, Greg. That's a great Excellent. one. Yeah, um, and before thanks. I let you go, uh, you talked about how great and loyal the Levitard audience is. So is there any like message you would want to leave with uh, for the end of the podcast? I would just say thank it's you. Dan, Stu, and Greg Cody on ESPN Radio. Man, how did he not see that coming? <laughs> I want to give a shout out to at City Boy on Twitter, C-I-T-T-Y Boy on Twitter, who suggested the new question for the Spanish Inquisition uh, playing commish for a day. That's a good one, City Boy. I like that one. And just remember, you can still go to the podcast app or iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review. You can leave your dilemmas for the commish to solve, which brings us to the South Bitch Sessions. Oh, and another thing. It's time once again for South Bitch Sessions, where I rant about something that bothers me and I try to fix it. This one comes courtesy of my lovely husband, Brad, who complains about this nonstop. And as the weather is starting to turn, thank goodness, from winter into spring, it will be less of a concern. But we're on the tail edge of it, so I'm going to use it now. And that is people who scrape off the snow off their cars everywhere except for the roof. Now, I understand you're not going to do a perfect job on the roof. You don't need to see through your roof. You don't need to scrape it down with the same intensity and passion that you do maybe your front window that you need to actually see out of or your back window so you can reverse. But people who are driving around with three feet of snow stacked on the top of their car, not realizing that the people behind them are being subjected to a blizzard as the wind blows through that snow and directly into the cars behind them 
are idiots. They could break heavily, and that mound of snow could come flying forward in front of them and block their view. They could speed, and that wind gusting through the snow could take giant amounts of it and slam it back towards the cars behind them. I swear to God, one day if I snap, it's going to be because of this. It's lazy, it's disrespectful, it's selfish. Again, you don't have to do a perfect job, but just a couple giant sweeps off the top are going to make the road safer for everybody else. All right, I feel good about what we accomplished today. When it snows and there's snow on the roof of your car, take a couple giant swings at it, clean it off for the most part so that you're not endangering everybody around you because you're lazy. There, I fixed it. We'll be right back with more That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Did you know the average interest rate on credit card debt is over 18% APR? Have you looked at your interest rate lately? Refinance your high-interest credit card balances and save with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. Get a rate as low as 6.14% APR with AutoPay. The rate is fixed. It will never go up. When you have good credit, you deserve great service and a low-interest fixed-rate loan from Lightstream. That's lending uncomplicated. Want to save even more? My listeners get an additional interest rate discount. And the only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash Spain. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash Spain. Subject to credit approval. Rate includes 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash Spain for more information. Well, that's what she said. Today's listener dilemma for the commission to solve comes from at Joe DeFederico on Twitter. Welcome to South Bitch Sessions. Let's hear this conundrum. Joe says, I have two prisoner of the moment children that dare to blaspheme and say that LeBron's better than MJ. What is something not well known that I can use to shut these two ingrates up? (laughs) Thank you for the dilemma, Joe DeFederico. Yeah, you see this complaint about a fair amount on social media. People of the Jordan generation trying to make sure that younger generations understand his greatness. You can, of course, go statistically and using the number of rings, but that's been done. And to be fair to LeBron James, he is one of the greatest ever, and he has achieved some things that Michael never did. I think the best way for kids, idiot little ingrate kids, as you mentioned, to really understand the difference between the two, the joy that can be gained from watching Michael Jordan and understanding that he's the greatest of all time, is to sit them down and make them watch something like Michael Jordan, Come Fly With Me, Michael Jordan's Playground, these concentrated sets of highlights of his greatness, other people talking about him. I mean, I think those moments that give you the chills aren't just his play, but also other legends saying stuff like when Larry Bird said, it's just God disguised as Michael Jordan. listen, your kids probably don't know who Larry Bird is and old legends like him and Magic Johnson, whatever, talking about Michael's greatness may have no effect on them. And in that case, I don't know what to tell you because it's just like probably your parents were trying to convince you that it was all about Wilt or Bill Russell. Times change. You need to hang on to and cling to your knowledge and belief and correctness in saying that Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. And maybe sometimes you just got to let your kids be idiots. But first, sit them down and watch the movies and see if it works. And if it doesn't, hey, you got to watch a bunch of Michael Jordan docs, which is a pretty good day. Thanks for the dilemma. And thanks to all of you for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said.